0: Hello. <clears throat> podcast Network Asia. Welcome to She Talks Peace, a podcast that highlights the role of women peacebuilders around the world in bringing lasting peace and security to their communities. Eavesdrop into their conversations and get to know their stories. From the Philippines to Malaysia, from Indonesia to Palestine, from Myanmar to the United States, Their dreams and their hopes for a world without violence and a world where every woman and girl can be whoever she wants to be. Hosted by Amina Rasul-Bernardo, President of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, and Dina Zaman, a Malaysian journalist and co-founder of Iman Research. This is She Talks Peace. Salam, everyone.
1: This is Amina Rasul from the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, welcoming you to She Talks Peace and wishing everyone Idul Adha Mubarak. And here is my partner, Dina. Hi, Alaikum to everyone. Hi, Amina. Uh,
2: yes, Sama Haji, as we say here in Malaysia. This is Dina Zaman from Iman Research, Malaysia. And I'm here today to join with Amina Rasul on another podcast called the uh, Chi Talk Speaks.
1: So, how are you? Well, Dina, as well as can be expected, this variant, this Delta variant, is making a mess of what we thought was mm-hmm. a in a movement to the good. I mean. There were some areas that were already easing up a bit, but now we've had, you know, Dina, we've had two deaths already due to the Delta variant. And this was in the province, not in the uh, national capital region. And we, our tracking system isn't that great. And there is no idea Uh yet how the Delta variant Got to the uh, this province, Antique, because it seems that uh, this the two deaths, and they I think they were senior citizens, they were not returning workers, uh-huh. uh, they didn't come from abroad, right. they had lived in the province all this time, and right. they got it and and they died. But, but I think Dina, it's worse in yeah. Malaysia, yeah. Oh, yeah,
2: in Malaysia,
1: despite.
2: You know, vaccination is being ramped up now. I mean, everyone's being vaccinated. Uh, they're opening up or you know, private clinics and walk-ins, yeah? You know, this Delta variant has just actually frightened quite a number of people. It's come to Malaysia, I believe. Uh, we haven't heard of anyone dying from Delta variant yet. At least I haven't, right? But I think this is really spooking all of us. You know, just when you think like in the Philippines, you think, okay, things are sort of getting better, boom, something else happens. And, you know, I think we'll have to live like this for the next one year, two years. Um, oh, I hope
1: I, not, Dana. I hope not, too.
2: <laughs> so, you know, Amina, you know, I just like in the Philippines, and this is something we discuss on WhatsApp, right? Mm. We have many women friends who are peace builders and activists busy working on the ground and I truly admire them because I personally wonder whether I have the courage or that I don't want to use the word impulse to just go down the ground and help people you know especially with this pandemic going on I we put other people's safety first than theirs yes and one person that I seem to be stalking on Facebook <laughs> right stalking huh? like, yes and uh, She's been really, really wonderful. My family had a bit of a tragedy last week, the last two, three weeks. So she and the NGO that she has actually uh, founded, right, cooked meals for my cousins and my family members who are grieving right now. I'd like to introduce you to Mahi Ramakrishnan. She spoke at the ICANN. She Builds Peace Launch in Malaysia last year. That's right. I, yes. And one reason why I'm dragging Mahi in is because I do think she's, well, as a friend, I want to, you know, bring up a profile. That's an ex-PR girl in me. <laughs> <laughs> so Mahi Ramakrishnan is a refugee rights activist and she runs a non-profit organization called Beyond Borders, which works to promote and protect the rights of refugees and stateless persons in Malaysia who are fleeing internal conflicts and persecution in their home countries. Oh, she's been working with refugees for 14 years now, connecting wow. refugee with the Malaysian society, fighting with people in the government, telling them you have to give them rights, you have to give them shelter, creating platforms for refugees to speak up, right, and lobbying the Malaysian government for comprehensive refugee policy. She also specialises in issues of forced migration and trafficking, specifically, and this is what you wanted also, Yamina, a sexual and gender-based violence and gender-based atrocity crimes. I believe this camp from her time when she was, before she got into this, she was a journalist, yeah? And uh, she watched a lot of films. I saw one or two short films. You know, you need to have her. It's not easy to watch uh, documentaries. Uh, She works with refugees who've experienced conflict and she creates opportunities for them to speak up about the experience. You know, as a multiple award-winning filmmaker and investigative journalist, Mahi uses the documentaries, which I mentioned earlier, to highlight issues related to trafficking, including the sexual, physical, mental, emotional violence unleashed against refugees and particularly against women and girls. So I think, you know, the best person to talk about her work, to share about the work with us and our friends around the world, would be to get Mahi on board. Yes, hi. Oh, Salam Mahi. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. in so, Mahi. Keen Mubarak, yes. folks. Happy Raya. Yeah,
2: we're all at home. <laughs> so anyway, Mahi, I've spoken briefly about you. And as I said earlier, you're the best person
3: to talk about your work.
2: So over to you, please tell Amina and I more about your work, yeah?
3: Actually, I think it's this. I need to talk about how I'm a journalist first before I made the transition uh, to work with refugees because journalism is the one that actually gave me the opportunity to start working with refugees and then expanding Initially, I started working with the Rohingya and then expanding it to include other refugee communities in, in Malaysia. So I think about 16 years ago, when I was working for Press TV out of Iran, I was their correspondent yes. and I was given assignments to do news reports on the influx of the Rohingya. At that point in time, we really had lots and lots of uh, Rohingya who were coming by boats into Malaysia. So my job was to go interview them and put that into a nice two and a half minute report. So I went and started talking to them. And you know, the thing is, uh, the first thing they ever tell you as a journalist is that you need to have that distance, right, between yourself and the people that you're talking to, between yourself and the story. But it doesn't really happen, you know, because the more you start talking to them, you realize that horrible and the horrific experiences, the persecution, the abuse, the sexual trauma and torture, and the state-sponsored persecution back home in Burma. So I realized that, okay, this is such a dizzyingly complex story. And I had to break them down into many, many, many reports to be able to convey effectively what was actually happening to this minority group from Burma. So what I did was while I was working, I realized that, you know, it's very difficult to just keep on telling their story, keep on doing the interview without really bringing in some aid and relief. So I'm just blessed that I have good friends, you know, such as yourself and others as well, whom I could speak to who agreed to actually bring a school in, who agreed to bring a mobile clinic in and stuff like that. So that is how the first foray into looking at uh, refugees, working with them, doing capacity building, trying to figure out what they need and responding to that need. That is how it actually gets started. And I think, wow, it has been not, I think I need to, you know, update my bio. It's been 16 years. And you know, you just uh, I've been I've been there and um I've realized that, you know, I mean I'm not gonna say, Oh, you give voice or I gave voice to the voiceless. That's just a bit too right. much melodramatic. But I believe that <laughs> I still believe that stories, visuals, words are incredibly powerful and they convey powerful messages. And that I could play a small role in conveying those messages and stories. But more than me telling the story, more than an NGO person telling a story or an NGO organization telling the story, I believe that people who are affected should be given opportunities to tell their own stories. And that is how some of the initiatives under Beyond Borders, which I set up in 2018, came together. Like the refugee festival that you just spoke about, connecting refugee talents together with the Malaysian population. And seeing them have conversations and ironing out some of the sticking points. So these are how some of the initiatives that I've been doing under Beyond Borders actually came about. You know, Mahi, that's no small role at all.
1: I know how difficult it is to work when disaster strikes, whether man-made or natural disaster. I mean, we in the Philippines, we've had our share of this disaster, man-made All Everybody knows what happened during the Marawi siege, for instance. And the suffering of those who were displaced, some would actually also call them refugees because of the conflict angle of it. There's still, many of them are still uh, not rehabilitated. And what worried me a lot was the reporting coming out from our partners on the ground in Marawi, that the abuses were scaling up. And one of the abuses was gender-based violence, especially the violence against women and girls. And this is a lot to tackle, Nahi. So can you tell us more about uh, the work that you've been doing tackling gender-based violence, especially violence against women and young girls?
3: Okay, so I think going back about 10 years, I uh, I decided to actually make my very first film on the refugee crisis, um, you know, that was faced by the Rohingya. And I went to Burma, and I think I went in and out like three times over a course of a year, just doing the recce and going back again to look at potential people that I could interview, mm-hmm. talking to officials, talking to human rights activists. And then uh, in the course of doing those interviews, I also managed, you know, sitting here in Kuala Lumpur, managed to get a permission to actually a, a letter from the the junta to actually visit the internally displaced camps oh, i don't remember that, that. Yeah, yeah yeah that was incredible because at that point in time no permission was being given but i was just really lucky and i had some friends in burma who helped me to make that possible as well so when i went in there and i started speaking to the women there it was appalling because the kind of sexual abuse the, the rape the kidnapping of yeah. women, but also men, but of course to a large, to a way lesser extent. And also girls were happening where these women and girls were just taken away by the military, never to be seen again, ever. And, you know, and, and it was so clear that they were being sexually abused, raped, and maybe even murdered after that because they never made their way back into the camps. And after finishing that story, I realized that, okay, there is another film that I needed to do, which was looking at what happens to them when they are in transit from Burma to Malaysia, you know, via Mm -hmm. the traffickers' uh, boats. And here, I also heard horrible tales of sexual abuse inflicted upon the women and children, boys and girls, as well as men as well. So, Mm. you know, the fact is when you, a a lot of filmmakers, you know, you do listen more about the sexual abuse uh, against women and also Mm -hmm. because that happens more compared to men. But here it was almost like it was on an equal scale. So I decided to also talk about that in my film. And after that, I realized while I was making this film that the traffickers were trafficking young Rohingya girls. Yeah, to be sold off as child rights to the Rohingya men in Malaysia. And I also realized that, okay, not just the trafficking element, but again, the sexual uh, abuse element was also there. And these girls are as young as like 12 and 13. And I interviewed oh, them in Malaysia. And, oh God, I must say, it, it must have been one of the toughest interviews that I've ever done. Because a girl who at that point in time was about 13 and a half years old, she told me that she fled Burma when she was about 12. And then she got to the trafficking camp along the thai Malaysia border was held there for months and months. And she was raped by more than 60 traffickers. So wow, yeah, it, it, it was just, you know, I had to stop filming. My producer was giving me the looks because you know, when you run a production team, you try to keep to your schedule, because if not, it's money and it's Documentary films are not sexy. It's very difficult to find funding for it, right? But I just couldn't go on because she started crying and I just sat next to her and just kept quiet because I didn't even know what to say to her. So, of course, now when I see things on the ground in Malaysia, it's not that kind of sexual abuse. But, you know, these are things that may not be that popular, but we really need to talk about. For example, you know, given the continued lockdown and the inability to make money and the consequences, the frustration, the emotional trauma, the mental trauma that comes out of it, we are hearing lots and lots of domestic violence cases happening amongst the refugees as well. And I'm sure that this is not just exclusive to the refugee community, but also spread out to the migrant as well as Malaysians who are struggling at this point in time. But unfortunately, I don't think that there has been sufficient response to mental health and the need to actually look at mental health intervention from the Malaysian government. So that, that's where we are at. Yeah, um, you're, you're right about that, Mahi.
2: Yeah. Wow. I'm just curious, Mahi, as a friend, how do you cope with this personally? Because this is not easy work that you do. And I remember when Amina was thick in the things, you know, in with the Marawi siege, right? I've always wondered how the both of you actually coped. Did you have to compartmentalize? Or you just went in there
1: and thought later, how did the both of you do this? <laughs> Mahi, let me start by telling by telling <laughs> Dina ahead. that the one advantage I have over you is that I am a senior citizen, which means my children are grown up. Which right. means I do not have to worry so much about them. In fact, I'll tell you a a funny story. My sons and my husband, they ride motorcycles. And when their friends ask my sons, how could your mom allow you to ride motorcycles? That's so dangerous. And my sons would tell their friends what our mother does. You know where she goes. She has no right to tell us not to ride motorcycles (laughs) so that's my one advantage uh, to Mahi but Mahi I salute you really for the work that you've been doing so how do you do it
3: yeah actually I mean I don't want to glorify this because the thing is uh, I'd rather be honest especially to the people who are listening because I want to also normalize the fact that it's not easy to do this work and then to be to be fine emotionally mentally I want people who are listening to also know that they are not alone. You know, Dina, I do send her WhatsApp messages now and then telling her that I really cannot cope, that I feel like I'm going to burst. It's also because, you know, as a person, as a a woman, as a mother, as a daughter, as just a a citizen, you know, as just a person, it's very difficult to see the kind of trauma that's actually, that that people are experiencing. And because I run an NGO, because I do food distributions and distribution of cooked meals, almost on a daily basis, actually on a daily basis, I think, you know, I do get relentless calls for food. And there's only mm. so much that one can cope with. And at yeah. this point in time, I'm just enveloped by a sense of hopelessness and helplessness. Yeah. Because, you know, we have a clueless government in place, a government that, like I said, is not able to respond appropriately to what's happening on the ground. It's almost like, you know, they're not really in touch with, gov- uh, with ground reality so oh, i do not know what's going to happen in the next 2 weeks in the next 3 weeks because people have lost jobs they keep losing jobs we uh-huh. predict i think the sme association has predicted about 50000 small and medium industries uh closing down in the next uh, in the following weeks and yeah. uh, you know I, I think 7 million malaysians will be out of jobs uh, before the end of the year so It's really difficult and it's that much more difficult for migrant workers, primarily undocumented migrant workers and also refugees. So am Mm -hmm. I really doing well? No. The last one week has been very difficult for me because I feel that, you know, despite all the fight that we do, despite, you know, coming together and doing that constructive criticism, uh, because we believe, uh, I mean... Look, you know, just because I criticize my government, it doesn't mean I don't love my country. I criticize <laughs> the because I love my of course country. You do. Of course you do. <laughs> but then the last one week, the sense of powerlessness, like the inability yes. to do anything is really, really overpowering me. And the last three days, I was actually plastered on my sofa. I couldn't even get out of my sofa. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't shower. I couldn't eat. You know, my partner is there, but there's only so much that he can do. Uh, because at the end of the day, it's about me. So... It's very, very difficult. And uh, I think that it's, it must be the same or even worse for others who are doing the kind of work on the ground. So, you know, I just think that we need to bond together. We need to understand that, you know, we are not alone, that almost everyone who is doing this job is going through the same and then I asked myself, if I'm going through this much of mental health issues, then what will the people who are affected, what will they be going through? And so how are how- you even going to intervene? I was going to ask,
1: Dina, yeah. because this is such a remarkable telling. How do you get the strength to get out of the desperation that you feel? What inspires you? How do you go on, Mahi?
2: For me personally, right? Of course, I will never pretend to do the work that Mahi and her colleagues do. Mine is, tends to be very bookish yeah. and making sure Iman doesn't fall apart, to be honest, right? And presenting. Having said <laughs> that, the field work that we do, because it's so close to home, you know, when you talk about identity, etc., politics, religion in Malaysia, you know? Mm. I have my own ways of coping. Like there are days just like Mahi, you're on the bed, you know, you're like, why am I doing this? Right. I will admit I see a counselor every one, uh, one month, two months, just to de-stress, you know, but the good thing, I don't know what is good thing, but from young, I've always done sports, you know, uh-huh. and thanks to MCO, right. You got all kinds of channels, you know, on YouTube, the body coaching and they're all free. And I do that, but I don't deny there are some days when you just weep and you think, well, what do you do? You know, Mahi and I exchange notes and I say, Mahi, let's dance. (laughs) Mahi, I (laughs) need you to dance. I find that at least it works for me. Other people have their own way. I know Alta cooks a storm. I've got other friends who are into all kinds of things like crystals. I mean, we find our own ways of coping, Amina. But I do agree with one thing. I told Ibu Ruby this. I think that while the communities that we service are very important and need help, peace builders like us, right, also need support in mental health. You know, and because we're gonna crack if we don't, you know, if we don't have that support. Yeah. Mahi, would you agree that in Malaysia, mental health issues are still very new?
1: It's yeah. gaining traction, but it's still very new. Mm. Very new. Yeah. Also and and Mahi, you, right? Mahi, speaking of, of that, so how do you
3: take care of your health, your mental health? How do you get the strength to go on? I just talked talk to some of my close friends like Dina, Punky Tech, and my partner. But, you know, I've also decided, I stopped therapy for some time and I've decided to, to go back. I was diagnosed also with uh, bipolar 2 and PTSD and chronic depression. Uh, primarily. Oh, so because of the films that I make and the kind of interviews that I do okay. and uh, talking to these people, again, I don't want to say that, oh, it's me and I'm, I'm going through this because I keep asking myself, if I, who is listening to an experience is going through this, what about the person who has, who has experienced it yeah. and who does not really have the kind of support? But also, you know, in the course of my work, I mean, I don't just like say, okay, I'm going to send food. For example, we send cooked food to frontliners and also communities in distress almost on a daily basis. But what I do is I don't just say, okay, we are sending food and stop it at that. I look at what I can do to empower women while I'm doing that. So all our food is cooked by single mothers, women who run home-based catering businesses, refugees and migrants. So I know that, you know, okay, I am doing something because yes, I'm, I'm making sure the food is available for frontliners and families in distress and under lockdown, but I'm also putting money into the pockets of these women. Now, this is important for me. So constantly finding ways in which I know that women can take care of themselves, that their families will be taken care of. This is important for me. Sometimes I do help, well, but I think it's really about time that I also, you know, take a step back and, and, and be a little bit kinder. To myself I, and also on top of that i do i do yoga twice a week oh that sounds oh, good
2: that's good. Cool. Ah, um, mahi i have a question i mean this is pretty intense this conversation it's good and your work okay while it's regional is also very malaysia centric yes. i'm just wondering what are the parallels that you see in the work that you do here that you see is happening in the philippines indonesia in our neighboring countries
3: See, the thing is, it's been really heartwarming to see ordinary citizens like you and me coming together to actually mitigate what's happening. Like, you know, whether it's in the Philippines or Indonesia or Malaysia, you know, we are seeing women and men coming together to say, "Okay, let's do something about it. And I think that is building the community spirit. And we are seeing something that has never really happened before. Of course, food unites Malaysians, football unites Malaysians, but this we are seeing at a huge scale. Let me give you an example. This Saturday, I'm getting 2,500 cooked meals and another 2,000 pastries from a group of men and women, predominantly women, who cook from their homes. And they started late May. And between May and now, they have already sent out more than 6,000-plus meals And 75% of those in that group, they have not even seen each other. They don't really know each other, but they connect on WhatsApp. They trust each other and they have a common goal that we want to do something for these people. Malaysians, foreigners, migrants, refugees, it doesn't matter. We are all people. And I see that sentiment coming up more and more across the region as well. Now, you know, I can't really say much about the government's. You know, because at this point in time in Malaysia, staying on in power seems to be more important than actually doing what is necessary for the people who are affected. But yeah. I do see this and I hope that this community spirit is coming together, pulling of resources, working together, you know, bringing logistics together, because that way we can reach to more people. We can do a better and more efficient job. I hope that this spirit stays on. I hope because, so you know, too. Even amongst the NGOs, right? I mean, uh, uh one of yeah. the toughest thing is to forge that collaboration, but it seems yeah. to have happened and I hope that it will stay that way. You know, this, uh, spirit of community,
1: uh, when disaster strikes like this pandemic, it really bubbles up and it's difficult for a stop, even if some of the authoritarian governments uh, want to. In the Philippines, for instance, Several months ago, a young woman started a community pantry. So she put up like a little stall on the street, put vegetables, eggs and other stuff and just put the sign, take what you need. And people started going there and there was so much demand. This got on social media. People started donating. And you know what some of our government people did? They sent the police. What? Because, yeah, because some thought that it was a leftist, you know, a project to get people angry with government. And there was such an outcry from people that Uh the police had to back off and be apologetic about it. But the good thing is other individuals all over started putting up community pantries of their own and this is uh, the community this is the kampung helping each other and that gives me so much hope and you know so much inspiration about the work that we as peace builders and humanitarians do you know but your experience mahi and the work that you do is so fantastic perhaps we can work with Beyond Borders (laughs) and you can cross the border and come to Mindanao and work with us. What do you think?
3: I would love that. I I just think that, you know, we can, I mean, I always believe that, you know, from someone like yourself, I'll be able to firstly learn and then share whatever that I know as well. And, you know, when we put our heads together, They'll have more creative ideas and sometimes it's also time to look at things in a more creative way like you can say that you can convey the same messages which are difficult dark and disturbing but maybe you could use uh, performing arts to say them to kind of like convey those messages so i think that you know we also need to evolve and look at um, ways different ways in which we can do our work more efficiently
0: Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Um, when you mentioned about the arts, yeah, I
1: do agree. That would be so good if the artists, the uh, singers, the dancers, the performers could. Come in and give us light moments. That's what we need in these times of darkness. Can you imagine if Dina could sing a song and you could, <laughs> <laughs>
2: and you I could don't share know
1: it with refugees? <laughs> Dina, I mean I'm sure you have a great singing voice, but you know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but wow, you know, Mahi, what are your plans for Beyond Borders, beyond COVID? Uh,
3: Okay, so like I said, now, you know, uh, we have got all these women who are actually cooking for the frontliners and for all the different projects. Now, I I do worry that after the vaccination process is all over, even though I want it to be over quickly and we reach this herd immunity as fast as possible. But I'm also thinking, what next? What am I going to do for them next? And I'm also in conversation with the group serum. As the RUM, they produce reusable sanitary pads. So I'm looking at capacity building for refugee women and also getting them to include refugee women in their team so that these women can actually start stitching the sanitary pads and in that way make money. So I'm actually looking at what are some of the other livelihood projects that I can start and the way, and also what are some of the ways in which I can sustain the women so that they can continue making a living for themselves. And also, you know, after COVID, I would like to kickstart the work that we have been doing, partnering with Janaganita, the right to work, education, and healthcare. Because I think, you know, it's come to a point where some sort of some form of recognition. I'm not really interested in the government ratifying the convention. If that happens, well and great. But even without that, we have existing legal framework that can be used for the by the government to actually allow refugees or, you know, enable refugees the right to work, education, and healthcare. So I think I would like to focus on that and also do a bit more work on the migrant workers, looking at what we can possibly do in terms of case management and stuff. A friend of mine who lives in near the Chinese embassy said that during yeah. walks, he has been spotting lots and lots of migrant workers who have been cheated by Malaysian employers and now they are homeless. Oh. So currently, uh-huh. I'm looking at setting up like a transit home so that. They can be housed there and then, you know, we can find the money, the funds, so that they can pay the compound and take advantage of Malaysia's amnesty program and leave the country. So that work may continue even after the pandemic.
1: What about corporate partnerships, Mahi? I
0: mean,
3: like, not- like, like like women CEOs, for instance,
1: have have they reached out to you or have you reached out to them to... You no, know, for help doing this valuable work that you're doing?
3: Actually, no, because uh, I, to be honest, I don't really know these people. And also because uh-huh. we, are a, we are a small NGO. Say if you, you know, if you go into my Facebook, I mean, you will think, wow, she has got a team working with her, but that's not true. Beyond Borders Malaysia is such a small NGO that we don't have corporate funding. So I'm not even in a position to hire one person to work with me. So all the work that you see, is done by me. And that's becoming really <laughs> tough. We have to clone you, Mahi.
1: What yes. do you think, Dina? Oh, we'll Dina has friends them. in the corporate world.
3: Yeah.
2: We'll have to sit down, Mahi.
3: And the yeah. fact that, you this know, we want very watch- helpful, Amina. Dina has been really, like, very helpful. I think... So she doesn't have to sing, huh? Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't want to sing. <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh, gosh, Mahi, this is
2: so interesting and... I think that definitely I can, she talks, you know, want you to get, want to get you on board because there's so much sharing you can do with our sisters in other countries. Don't you agree, Amina?
1: Absolutely. I mean, the work done, for instance, by women peace builders in Mindanao, where we have so much problems with displaced people because of the pandemic and also because of armed conflict. Yes. The women do what they can. The women peace builders do what they can at the community level. Right. But I haven't heard yet of initiatives such as Beyond Borders. And it would be really great to link you up with some of these women. For instance, last time we had a guest, Samira Gutuk tumawis who's from Marawi. She's a young friend of mine whom I've known since she was a college student. And she does a lot of ground-level humanitarian work. And, you know, the work that she does is valuable. But I think if you infuse Mahi's ideas, I think the two of them would make such a fantastic combination.
3: So we've got to get Mahi over to the Philippines, Dina. That will be great. See, the thing is, when I talk about performing arts, for example, uh, six years ago, I set up the Refugee Festival. And what happened was, we showcased talents by refugees. We have theater artists, we have singers, dancers, musicians, and wow. the poets. So what happened was from a refugee, instantly they became artists. And I could see the pride. I could see that empowerment happened instantly. And we used that as a, you know, we used the four-day performing, um, uh, the, the four-day of, of the festival to actually connect them with the Malaysian society. So what happens is I can, uh, a vast segment of the Malaysian society uh, does not really like, is xenophobic, is racist, does not really like refugees and migrant workers. So I can either take a step back and say, I'm really angry with you folks. I don't want to have anything to do with you guys. Or I can tell myself, what can I do about this? May, maybe if I connected these groups, maybe if they came face to face, maybe if they had a conversation, things will change. And that's exactly what happened things started changing. We thought we were making huge progress. And then last year happened. And for some reason, you know, the xenophobia just got out of hand. And now we are back at ground zero and we need to start our work again. But last year, I stepped down as the festival director. And now the festival is taken over by this incredibly talented friend whose family, his name is uh, Saleh Seppas, he's an Afghan theater artist, theater director. And uh, that's because I believe that the festival belongs to the refugees and they t- should take ownership of it. So I'm looking forward to where the festival will be going, uh, how it's going to expand and what will be included under the leadership, the very able leadership of Saleh. So I, I, you know, if we can do that, if we can find talent, because yes, we are always talking about persecution and whatever, but I would like people to know that the refugees and the migrants are way more than the persecution that they have actually experienced. That there is something in them, that they are artists. They are professionals. We need to also start talking about those things. So anything that will enable me to look at livelihood opportunities, to look at, you know, creating this group of artists who can showcase their talents and instantly become empowered. You know, I'm all for it, Amina. So thank you. Thank you very much. Here's an idea, uh, Mahi and
1: uh, Dina. Um, yes. Virtual performance. Do you think that would be possible? I've seen it done that would in other yes. countries, and they raise a lot of funds for their advocacy. Oh really?
2: yeah, I mean, if uh, I think Mahi is familiar with pusaka, they've done quite a, a number of online.
1: Yeah, maybe that's yeah. something we
2: can do. You know, Mahi. Yeah, crossing lastly, borders. As crossing well.
1: borders, Mahi. So crossing beyond borders, yeah. borders in yeah. dance, uh, music.
3: And performances yeah we can do one which is separate from the refugee festival but you know and uh, aimed at uh, raising funds and those kinds of things that will go back to you know supporting the vulnerable communities that would be great funds are actually drying up at this point amina i'm my head wow. talking to you, but uh, a part of my brain is also working actively thinking oh my god what am i going to do so yeah right Ooh. yeah
1: sometimes people get what do they call it fatigue yeah they get they get Fatigue because every day there's another catastrophe. But I think your festival, your refugee festival, Mahi, if you could think about that in this situation, another festival might be the the right kind of an approach to get people out of this fatigue. But this time, Dina has to sing.
2: (laughs) No, you really don't. But yeah, I mean, there's so much we can do. But you know, Mahi, uh, maybe when things are a little bit less stressful for you when you can breathe. Why don't we all talk about doing a regional concert or
3: performance? Yeah, that'll be nice. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, We're, we're going to have to find a good director, Dina. Anybody come to mind within the network?
2: (laughs) That I don't know. We'll have to see.
1: Yeah. So are
2: we, I think we're about to end, are we, Amina?
1: Oh my goodness, the time
2: really yes. really
3: flies. Just flew, yeah. I, I didn't even realize we've been talking for like, what, 40-45 minutes? <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah.
2: So, wow, uh, Mahi, Amina, I mean, it's a great way to celebrate Ipubara. I certainly am very inspired. I don't, don't have any ideas yet, but definitely I'll follow up Mahi and see what we can do. Yeah? And Amina, yes. maybe let's think.
1: Philippines, yeah, then- Malaysia. Absolutely. This has been so inspirational. Mahi, maybe you could you know, share your inspiration, give us a few words to the people who are listening and start letting them think uh, beyond their own borders. So
3: yeah. Mahi,
1: any last words for those who are listening?
3: No, I know that most times when we say things uh, which are not so nice, it's primarily because we are fearful. So the only way to get rid of that fear is to actually sit down with the migrant workers, sit down with the vulnerable community, sit down with the single mother, sit down with the refugee and and listen to them. And uh, then you will understand and people will understand that, you know, seeking refuge isn't a crime, crossing borders for better job opportunities for themselves and their children isn't a crime. I just think that as peace builders, we also have this role to play where we need to keep connecting people because I do believe Mm -hmm. in the good in everyone. And my father brought me up to kind of like you know believe in the good in everyone, and that's what I do. I hold on to that, and you know I think that uh, if we can we connect communities and people, then a lot of the hostilities could be ironed up. And Dina, you know, thank you very much for connecting me with Amina. Amina, it's been great talking to you, and thanks for having me on this podcast.
1: Thank you for joining us, Mahi. You have been such an inspiration, hasn't she, Dina?
2: Oh yes, definitely. So wow, I
1: guess this marks the end of our podcast for this week. And you know, Dina, we end on a very hopeful note with Mahi's inspiration. It really strikes, you know, a home. It strikes my heart that we can fly beyond our own borders and do things that can help other people, not just help other people, but lighten. Our own spirit, you know, shed, bring a little light into the darkness that we yeah. all face. So I really thank Mahi for joining us. And Thanks. the last thing that I can possibly say is I hope that um, everybody enjoys the Idol Adha celebration and keeps safe. And this is uh, Amina Rasul from the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, wishing everyone peace, happiness. And safety. Dina? Same. You said it
2: all. I'd like to wish everyone, Amina, uh, Mahi, and everyone listening in, that this past two years have been quite tough for all of us. But let's hope that things will get better because that's all that we have. Hope. And keep on fighting. And have you know keep the faith also at the same time.
1: And lastly, Dina will sing. <laughs> you wish. I will. <laughs> okay. All right. Until then. the next time, Dina Mahi. Yeah. See you, Amina Mahi.
0: She Talks Peace is brought to you in partnership with Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. For more information, check out their website at podcastnetwork.asia and podmetrics.co.